Support for KBUT is brought to you by Townie Books and Rumors Coffee and Tea House, serving Allegro organic coffee and fine loose leaf teas. Townie Books stocks new books and can special order anything. Drink coffee, read books, fight evil. Welcome to the West Elk Word, community affairs for the Gunnison Valley, here on Community Radio KBUT. I'm your host, Chad Rich. Our guests this week are Erica Muller and Matt Fire with Crested Butte Mountain Resort. We're here today to discuss a terrain expansion onto the backside of Crested Butte Mountain, talk a little bit about new snowmaking and summer plans, and discuss the process of getting a ski area expansion and set of improvements approved. Erica, Matt, thanks for joining us today. CBMR is looking to add 434 acres of glades and 89 acres of trails on the backside of the mountain. Tell us about the expansion. Where is it going to be? What kind of terrain is it going to have? It's on the east-facing side of the mountain, so back um, behind and below TO1, TO2 bowls, for those who are familiar with the mountain. You know, the bulk of it's going to be uh, gladed terrain, so, you know, 434 acres of glades, 89 acres of of, uh, sort of cut trails, mostly blue-black, single black, a little bit of double diamond, but really that blue-black terrain that we're really missing at the resort right now or don't have a lot of. How uh, far down do the runs go, like down towards Brush Creek Road? Yeah, it goes back towards Brush Creek Road, probably about... There, there's a big bench if you've ever been back on Brush Creek and you can see that big bench. So we, the bottom of the um, bottom lift that we're currently calling TO Drainage, but we'll change the name of that, um, that lift is going to be up on that bench and tucked in a little. So it's actually going to be not very visible to, um, to people. I mean, from Brush Creek Road, you'll probably see a little bit of it, but 135, we don't expect to see much visual impact. We're starting to get a lot of TOs on the mountain, aren't we? We sure are. Apparently, we really love that name somehow, some way, but we will be sure not to have 49 TO lifts on the mountain <laughs> and trails. The upper loop and the upper lower and the lower upper and TO1 and one TO and TO2. So will there be a new lift or two or three? There will be three. Yeah, there's going to be uh, three planned. Uh, one of them is going to be called TO Park. It essentially go from if you were skiing, uh, to two bowl and you got to the bottom and you're taking your skis off to hike back up that's where the bottom terminal would be the top terminal will be uh, the top of the north face where the existing north face lift ends right now uh, the second lift is we're calling right now the to drainage lift uh, the bottom of that lift will be on that bench um, above brush creek at the bottom of that to drainage the top will be uh, Wolf Slayer, if you ever skied Wolf Slayer, so top coming off of there. And then the third lift, um, which is currently being called the uh, North Face Replacement Lift, it will start from bottom of Paradise Warming House, roughly, right in that area, and then it'll, it'll deliver uh, guests to the top of the existing North Face lift. So you won't have to take Paradise over to and ski down to North Face and then exactly. take the T-Bar. Wow, okay. Will there be snowmaking in the new terrain? Uh, no snowmaking in the new terrain. There is, uh, in this environmental impact statement, um, we have uh, put in 32 new acres of snowmaking on the existing terrain. Um, and that's Black Eagle, 
Lower Galowich, Shep Shoots, Rachel's, and Championship, um, just to really enhance our main mountain skiing skiability. And for places like Shep's and Rachel's, you look at that, and those get, you know, it snows a foot, and it gets blown away. Yeah. And those are some of the easier runs back down. So if someone's skiing over in the TO area or wants to begin to push into the extremes, those are good places to start, but they're barren sometimes yeah we so. wanted to have guests that, that wanted to go over and explore over there have an easy way you know an intermediate skier to have an intermediate way out as well so sure cool so the expansion will add over 500 acres cbmr is a relatively small resort just over 1100 acres right now and about half of that's our super famous extreme terrain so how much non-extreme terrain is this going to add? Will this really add to the package of adding more intermediate and beginner and maybe light extreme terrain? Yeah, we're actually about 1,600 acres right now, including all of our extreme terrain. That includes our extreme terrain, which is about 582 acres of extreme. That includes TO2. So it's 1,100 so without 1100 the extremes. So it's 1,100 without, yes. Man, yeah. I've had it wrong all these years. Jeez. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Glad we could clarify for you. Yep. Um, so this would add another 500 on top of that. So we would be around 2,000 acres. Okay, great. Is the idea that more terrain might equal more people? Um, I think the the concept is that more terrain would allow the visiting skier to have another day at this mountain. Um, you know, so if they're here for a four-day stay, um, they, you know, they skied the East River Pod, they skied Paradise, they skied the front side. Uh, you know, it's a day to go over and explore that TO drainage. So uh, that's our plan. Sure. So it, it would just lengthen our existing customers stays maybe a little bit yeah and and always when there's a terrain expansion that usually hits the magazines ski magazine powder people talk about it especially at a place like crested butte so you've got to assume this is going to create some level of buzz which is yeah we hope so and like all buzz that is, is good definitely buzz. the hope i mean we wouldn't be doing a terrain and spending a lot of money to uh make this happen if it wasn't going to bring more people so what have you found in your market research that leads you to believe that we need more green, blue, and light black terrain? Was there something in the master development plan that called for more of this kind of terrain? Yeah, so we did a master development plan um, back in 2013, um, and that basically is um, something that you propose as a uh, leasee with the uh, U.S. Forest Service that we propose, say, hey, in the next five to ten years, here are our ideas. This is what we're looking to do. Um, to enhance our um, our ski terrain, our skiers' um, experience on the mountain. And so when we did that, we did do um, a bunch of research, and actually even prior to that with snodgrass, and that was one of the reasons that snodgrass was proposed on the table, was to increase our intermediate and advanced terrain. Um, and so we, we know there's a need. Yes, we've done the research. We, um, we do a ton of guest surveys and... Um, not everyone says that, but a lot of people um, do mention it. You know, those intermediate and advanced skiers are saying, well, there, you know, there's some great green terrain here. There's obviously awesome extreme terrain here, but I'd love some more blues and blacks. And really, this is addressing the blues and blacks. So when Snodgrass didn't go through, is this kind of a plan B or was this always part of the big plan? Uh, well, that's a little bit before my time here. Um, but my understanding was uh, one of the outcomes of that uh, snodgrass process was that the Forest Service came back and said, uh, we would like you to further explore the development of your main mountain before looking to another mountain to develop. So um, I think this is a consequence of that. And, and really, if you look at, you know, Mount Crested Butte as a mountain, um, 
this is the only real area where we can still develop on the main mountain. Yeah, without putting people into either fifth and sixth bowl or uh, shoving them off of the giant cliffs on the front side, right. this is about the only area left where most uh, non-superhumans could go skiing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, after um, 2009, John Sale, our director of planning um, at the time, really started to do some research, and he um, started hiking back there and skiing back there, and he brought other groups back there to get their input at the time of, you know, what do you think? Does this look good? Does it not look good? Like, should we explore this further? Um, And really, you know, from 2009 on to try to be as, number one, as transparent as possible, like this is what we are um, considering, this is our ideas. Um, and so that's grown really pretty organically, I'd say since 2009. So all of this plan came out of those conversations with people in the community, those tours that he did, um, and, uh, and with the forest service, of course, as well. And so we do feel like it's a a very viable, um, and very low impact expansion as far as ski area expansions go. Give us an idea of what it will take to get the terrain open. I'd assume you've got to clear some trees, make some space for chairlifts and trails. What does that entail? Is it just a couple guys walking through the forest with a chainsaw or is there a... Do you want a job for that? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. Um, But what does it take to make it happen? Well, you know, developing this area is no small process and it would probably be done in phases um, over multiple years, you know, one lift um, and then some clearing and then, you know, maybe if everything goes well, then another lift and some clearing, that type of phasing. So, um, so that's the general process. As far as the design is concerned, um, you know, we already have power to the north face, top of the north face. Um, so we would have to pull a little bit of power over from there uh, to the top of the ne- TO drainage lift. They're both top drive lifts. So uh, not too much involved in that, or I should say not a huge amount of thing involved in that. Yeah. Uh, as far as the clearing is concerned, the way the d- design of this plan is, the vast majority of it is going to be gladed. Uh, certainly everything on the east side of the TO drainage list is already pretty naturally graded. So there's, you know, we might remove as little as 10% of the trees at that point. And on the other side, it's probably a little bit higher, maybe closer to 50% in certain areas. Um, We're either going to either cut and pile and burn, if that makes the most sense, uh, or, um, you know, where it makes better sense, we'll do some helicopter logging, and that's part of this plan as well. So pull those logs out, you know, put them on a truck and ship them out of here. Is the idea to make it gladed like a steamboat area is gladed or gladed more like a crystal trees type of area? You know, I don't think we've gotten that down to it yet. <laughs> um, our goal really in the design is this is to be as minimal impact. It's going to have a side country feel to it. You know, uh, we're not building a road down into that drainage. Um, you know, all of our logging that's going to be done is going to be, you know, hand cuts, you know, Sawyer's and hand cut and helicopter logging. So it's going to be uh, minimally disturbed um, and it's going to have a minimal visual impact um, if you're over in the Brush Creek area. Cool. It sounds like it'll provide maybe even a little different skiing experience than maybe heading, you know, off the top of the Queen and going back to the front side, which feels very ski area like, which is what it is because it is a ski area. But uh, yeah, over there, it sounds yeah, like Yeah, even the developed trails, you know, we have the 89 acres of developed trails. They're not going to be just cut runs. There'll be patches of trees that, that you can fit a groomer down in there because they'll want to get a groomer down in there. But it won't be just a straight shot top to bottom like, you know, you'd be on 
International. I like to call them boulevards. We're not going to be making any boulevards back there. Okay. What's the timeline here? Um, When are we going to start skiing back in uh, the TO (laughs) expansion area? (laughs) Great question. (laughs) It's going to take a little time, of course. Um, Currently, right now, and I think we're going to get in a little bit to the NEPA process uh, more in our discussion, but um, right now we're in the 90-day comment period. That just opened last Friday, February 9th, so that will remain open until May 10th officially so people can publicly comment um, once they read the 308 pages of the uh, EIS, draft EIS, and that's an environmental impact statement. And so once the public comment period closes, the the Forest Service has to respond to all those comments, and so that takes some time, and then internally they have some work to do and to figure out um, based on the comments what the plan really should be. Um, there is one thing with this plan. It is kind of a no-go or go. Um, there's not a lot of changes that we can make. Um, so really, if people are commenting, it's it's more of a yes or no, yes, voice your concerns or voice your um, uh, support of it um, in areas that you do support. But there there's not a lot of opportunity for change because it isn't that drastic or that big of a plan. Yeah. Um, so once the Forest Service has that, we expect um, – then they produce the uh, final EIS, and that we, I don't know, when do we expect that? End well, of summer? Or no, I would fall? say best case scenario, <laughs> if everything goes according to plan and there's no hiccups, uh, I would say end of August. You know, best case scenario, maybe end of August, they would have a record of decision. Um, that's probably my best case scenario for that. So, But we know that sometimes things move like molasses, so you know we're prepared to, to ride it out and keep yeah. the public informed. And we've been in this process for over two years now doing you know field studies, so it's not been a short process. We haven't gone into it with it thinking it's going to be a short process, so we don't really have that uh, definite end time frame. You know, we'd love to have – and also on top of that, there's a, a county process, the LUR process with the county that we'll have to go through after that. Um, and that – Part of that process might take six months. So, you know, best case scenario, we might be ready to break ground on some phase of this next spring. So. But, but we're not skiing it next winter. Not next winter. Probably. Well, you're skiing TO1 and TO2, but you're not going to be lifted out with a lift at that point. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. You'll still be hiking probably next winter. Gotcha. <laughs> what are you hearing from the public about a lift back in TO1 and TO2? I bet some people are stoked to not have to hike out and... You know, then there's probably some people saying, wow, that's part of the deal. Yeah. Well, you want me to jump in on this one? Um, you know, when we first proposed this, there's a uh, scoping period that the Forest Service has to do uh, on our proposal. Uh, in that scoping period, we received 77 comments, uh, the large majority of which were positive, uh, And there was, I don't know, four or five negative ones. Um, and that's kind of, and the Forest Service said that to us, that's kind of unheard of. Usually when you have skiers expansion, it's not 77 comments. It's, you know, 350 or 500 comments, and it's more evenly split, 50-50. Um, so, I mean, just, you know, we're optimistic that that bodes well uh, for our next public comment period, which we're in right now. So we'll see. And my experience in public comment periods is the Forest Service is looking for, like, substantive comments as opposed to yes or no votes, like, I don't support this because of this, or I think this is a great idea because of these reasons. So if people are sitting out there and beginning to type their comments, remember to add why and not just yes or no. Absolutely. And to to read some of, um, you know, I don't expect everyone to read all 308 pages, but to read, you know, the issues that were found in all the studies and really 
really make an educated comment, I guess. Well, let's talk a little bit about the studies and the approval process, because it's not like just uh, filling out a form on the Internet and the Forest Service says yes or no, you can do this. Um, There's something called an environmental impact statement. There's something called, as you mentioned, NEPA. Um, That's one of those acronyms around here that people seem to know, and the rest of the world has no idea what that one is. Um, Then there's got to be a ton of different research type people who are involved. And there's probably even an archaeologist who had to make sure that Noah's Ark wasn't up there somewhere. And I don't think he found it. So tell us about taking it from the idea of a terrain expansion and going through an approval process with a federal agency, having the public involved. I mean, it's it really is a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Like I said earlier, it's been about a two years of field studies and um, and how it works is, you know, the Forest Service doesn't have the capacity to do those field studies themselves. So there's a third party contractor in this case. Uh, the group was called SE Group, the largest um, uh, environmental analysis in environmental impact statement producing, you know, land analysis company, I would say, probably in the state. They do a lot of ski areas. They do a lot of other ski areas. And the idea so, is they're an unbiased third, par- third yeah, party. Yeah, they are the third party. And does a so study. they do with the studies and then they take that information, which is in the EIS, which everyone can read now, and then they give it to the Forest Service, and the Forest Service uses that, you know, to base their decision upon, along with the comments. Um, So the last two years, you know, there's been hydrologists, geologists, soil scientists, archaeologists, botanists, uh, you know, a a whole host of people out there, you know, walking the ground very, very closely um, and looking at all kinds of stuff. so that that's been the process, and we're you know finished up that this past summer. Uh, in the fall, they wrote this draft EIS document, gave it to the Forest Service. Forest Service has some time to review it just internally to make sure that everything is sort of what they wanted to see in that, as far as the level of detail. If they needed any more information, then it goes out to the public for public comment, and then after that, the Forest Service can then take that document, take the public comment, uh, and begin to make a decision. Gotcha. And as part of that too. Um I'll add that SE Group wrote the draft EIS statement. We didn't see that until the public was able yeah, to we see were that. Not able so to we see are that. not, when we say third party, it's, it's definitely a third party that we yeah. have no say in. We don't even know what was presented until. In fact, we have very specific communication protocols between the resort and SE Group and the Forest Service, you know, that has to go in a certain way. So they reveal what's behind door number one to everyone at the same time. Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of exciting. It is. Well, uh, you said right now we're in this, you mentioned that right now we're in something called NEPA, National Environmental Policy Act. What is your experience with NEPA? What's your role? What's your responsibility? Well, I mean, this in this project, you know, we weren't necessarily required to do... um, the full environmental impact statement, which is the most in-depth environmental analysis you can do. Um, my understanding was, and this is a little bit before my time because I stepped in halfway through this process, that we could have done an EA, which is an environmental analysis. But um, sometimes when you do an environmental analysis, it might raise questions that you then have to address further down the road. Um, so this was an opportunity for us to get it all in at once, get all this winter development, get all the you know future proposed summer uh, bike trail development in there all in one big process and then be ready to move forward, you know, with a sort of more master plan uh, that didn't 
open it up to, uh, you know, people having more questions about, well, why didn't you study this or why didn't you study that? It's, it's pretty much all been studied. So. Okay, great. Um, <clears throat> Sweet. I want to ask one more question. Then I want to go to summer. But what's my one question? I want to kind of close up on winter here. Um, maybe I'll just, you know, what I'm going to ask you is if there's anything else you'd like to touch upon about the winter plan, then we'll switch to summer. How about that? Do, and you don't want us to talk about snowmaking or do you want us to mention snowmaking? I guess we kind of did already a little we, You know, we kind of mentioned it a little bit. Okay. I'll talk about a couple other like little details that uh, I think that are, are nice uh, things uh, that... I'll, I'll ask. Okay. Are there any other details that you'd like the public to know or some uh, other curiosities that people might just find interesting? You know, in the, in the winter aspect of this plan, um, I think there's a few things. You know, we did, we put in there, sir, some... Access improvements on the North Face Million Dollar Highway, some of that uh, banana flat iron and funnel accesses. So I know folks ski out there and that getting into those areas is really off camber and rocky. Uh, our plan is to go out there and, and flatten those areas out so it's easier. You don't trash your skis on the way out. Uh, I think that's a nice little addition that, uh, you know, our existing skiers will really enjoy this mountain um, eats skis yeah uh, also top of the where the north face replacement lift or the top of the existing north face lift right now uh there'll be a new ski patrol uh shack so you know uh aid in their response time and their snow control times and everything on that and also in that there'll be a very small warming house very you know just to sell sundries, you know, sunscreen and granola bars and things like that. People who are skiing out there want to warm up. They don't want to go all the way back to the base area or all the way down to paradise. Um, it's a nice little spot that people can spend some time there. So I think that'll be, those will be nice bonuses. Well, let's switch to a warmer time of the year and talk about what this new terrain expansion means for the summertime. Trails? It does. Um, it means about 15 miles of new trails on the ski area. Currently we have a little over 30 mile Miles of trails. Um, what it means for the downhill side of things um, would be downhill lift accessed um, biking off the Silver Queen lift. There's a, um, a few trails that are, are outlined in the maps on, in the environmental impact study that you can look at. Um, and then also would be some cross-country trails as well. Um, one, one of the major ones would be connecting Meander and kind of bringing out over by East River and back to the top of... Um, the red lady lift and then a lot of the other ones if you look at the lift or if you look at the map or they're really just filling in areas that we currently have bike trails um but, but maybe you've got to ride options. like a road between them or something like that yeah, yeah exactly and you know and full you know full new trails um but just just more opportunity for people to get out there and bike on the mountain and um and, and really continuing to open up um, biking to our everyday guests who may not be able to ride um, a 401 or we don't really want them even to ride a 401. I mean, the ski area is really um, has been designed by the Forest Service as a high impact, high density area. Um, and so we want to continue to use it as such. Um, there's a lot of concern right now. Um, on the store committee as I'm part of, but people, you know, utilizing our backcountry. And I can't emphasize enough that we want to be able to create that opportunity on the mountain because, you know, somebody riding the chairlift and hiking even to the top of the high lift is more adventure for them than they'll see all season. Yeah. They don't need to drive out to Gothic. And so, and if you can concentrate uh, the use and also have emergency services right there on hand, you know, that might just be better for everyone huh? everyone involved <laughs> cool yeah. well um as you move forward you know what are you looking for from the public in terms of uh comment and support and whatnot 
Yes, we are. We are looking for comments. We are looking for support, of course, um, but we'll read them all and, and appreciate everyone's opinion. Um, they can go. Currently, we have um, the link on our website. Is uh, actually the probably the it's easiest way there. to get to it and remember <laughs> is www.crestedbutte-eis.com. Once you go to that page on the right hand side, there'll be a link to the EIS document. You can go in there and and uh, have fun reading. All right. Well, Matt Fire, Erica Muller, thanks so much for joining us here today at KBUT and talking about a potential expansion on the ski area. Thank mm. you, Chad. Yeah, thank Appreciate you for it. having us. And that's the West Elk Word. Hear this episode again at kbut.org and click Programs. Have a great idea for our public affairs program? Let us know by sending an email to kbut at kbut.org. For the West Elk Word, I'm Chad Rich, and we'll see you out there.